Bibles, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, man, you look all wet. Or tell yourself, you look all wet. (laughs) Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 will be where we are today. The scandal over sinners. We're entering a very important portion of the Lord's ministry. Uh, Jesus is still in the city of Capernaum. Uh, He has achieved celebrity status in this town. People were flocking to witness his miracles and to hear his message. But in particular, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. The people of Capernaum are around him wanting to see what he's going to do next. And Jesus does one step better. The common man is excitedly following Jesus. But conflict is beginning to develop between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. He had already offended them in the upper part of our chapter 2. Jesus made his identity as God in the flesh very clear. But now the Jewish leaders are watching Jesus, trying to find a way and a reason to attack his ministry. You see, when people are doing the work of God, they're going to be attacked for that work that they do. Billy Graham and Franklin Graham are attacked all the time for the work that they do for God. But they never shy away from what they do. Nor will they ever. Because they know that there's a far greater judge (laughs) than man's judge. And so we'll do the work of God that He's called us to. So beginning from this passage today, through Mark chapter 3 and verse 6, there's a series of scandals involving these Jewish leaders and Jesus. And they're scandals over Jesus and His relationship to sinners. Scandals over the Sabbath. Scandals over certain sacraments. And the scandals will end with the Jewish leaders looking for a way not only to discredit his ministry, but now to put him to death. So the title of today's message is The Scandal Over Sinners. And again, it just begins a series that we'll look at over the next few weeks. But I hope that um, we can learn some great things from today's message as well as those yet to come. But I want us to pick it up at verse 14 of Mark chapter 2. It says, As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. So we're going to first of all see Jesus and this publican. Not republican, even though that would probably fit him. It doesn't matter in Washington what you call yourself, Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. Skunk would fit better over after every name. Except I must admit that one of the finest articles I've read of late 
was the Tulsa World's article on Jim Bridenstine, our representative in the House of Representatives. He was found by the House Ethics Committee to actually have done what was right. That was the report. He's the only one out of this group that traveled to uh, Azerbaijan, and he was the only one that did the right thing. So I was proud of him. Now, would he keep doing that? Let's hope. But this is an interesting passage. Levi. What do we know about Levi? Well, let's look at Levi the man. Um, he's, he's a tax collector. Works for the IRS. You know anybody that works for the IRS? Yes. Gary and Sherry have a daughter that works for the IRS. And we'll love her in spite of her working for the IRS. Right? But most of the time, people that work for the IRS don't want you to know they work for the IRS. Why is that? Because they're a hated organization. Well, Levi was not a very well-liked man. You see, in Capernaum, they were on a caravan route between east and west. A lot of traffic uh, and trade uh, traffic passed through that town. Taxes were collected on everything that passed through that town. Taxes were levied against the fish that were caught in the Sea of Galilee. Much like one of the taxes they're proposing is to tax you on the rainwater that you gather in a bucket. Did you know that? They're thinking about taxing you. If you catch the rainwater in a bucket, you're going to have to pay a tax on that rainwater. Hmm. Now, they don't come down here very often, do they? We were burning trash in Kenmundi, Illinois, before I moved here to that rural area. That big 55-gallon drums, you burn your trash. And I made a comment one day. I said, well, Jay, did the EPA ever get upset about this? And one of the guys said, well, you know, preacher, EPA doesn't make it out here very often. <laughs> taxes, taxes, taxes. What do we know about Levi? First of all, he was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. Wow. You see, the Romans came up with a tax quota for every province in their empire. They allowed the nobles to bid out the tax gathering, and so Levi would be hired by one of these nobles. And all they required was the quota that the Roman government had established, and so if they charged extra to put in their pocket, it was of no matter to them. So the taxes were exorbitant. Much like they are today. You have to work till May, January through May, just to pay your taxes. And as we've been told from Washington, D.C., that's our contribution. That's our contribution. (laughs) Publicans like Levi were also notoriously dishonest. Notoriously dishonest. Because Levi was a tax collector for Rome, he was probably one of the most despised people in all of Israel. Viewed as a traitor to his nation. Isolated in the community. Not not allowed to go to temple or synagogues. A social outcast. He could only socialize with other tax collectors and sinners. Sinners. 
of his rank. A very hated man in the city of Capernaum. I'd imagine Levi was also a disappointment to his parents. You see, being named Levi, he came from the tribe of Levi. They were the priestly group. And maybe he fit pretty well. I know a lot of preachers that are robbing. Never mind. Let's move on. Also in these verses, we realize he's a wicked man. Defiled, despised, disillusioned, disappointment. But he didn't have anything to commend himself to the Lord. He has a wrecked and a ruined life. So Levi then meets the master. Jesus passes by and he says, follow me. The interesting thing here, that phrase is in the present tense and it literally means be following me. So Jesus is telling him, hey, I want you to follow me, but be following me right now. Let's go. It's a call to his life to leave what he was doing and to follow Jesus. But why would Jesus have any use for a man like this? One word. Grace. Let me ask the question this way. Why would Jesus have any reason to need you? Grace. Grace. See, Jesus sets a good example for the rest of us. He's walking and looking for someone to touch as he goes about his day. We should also be looking for opportunities to share that saving message of Christ. What a testimony Christine gave just today. I felt more encouraged, didn't you? She's demonstrating her faith to us. Maybe it will help you energize your faith. And I'm glad that Jesus loves the lost. I'm glad that He calls lost sinners to come to Him without regard of them being cleaned up before they get there. He wants us just as we are. So glad. But before we move deeper into these verses, I want us to think about some application points. Number one, no one is beyond hope. I am sure that most people in Capernaum had and would and probably did give up on Levi. (laughs) The religious people of the city snubbed him, passed him on the side, run him off as a lost cause. But Jesus saw him salvageable. No one's beyond hope. Secondly, Jesus knows how to reach your wayward loved ones. He knows how to do it. Levi's parents didn't know how to reach their son. They'd done the best they could in raising him. Felt helpless. But one word from the Master changed Levi's life. I contend that one word from the Master can change your life. If you'll let Him. If you'll but let Him. Number three, Jesus sees the hidden potential in the lives of the lost. I'm so glad. You ever wonder what gift you have that God could ever use? Let me tell you the gift that He could use that everyone has. Everyone has this gift. You ready? Prayer. Prayer. Everyone can pray. 
You can be a prayer warrior. You can be a prayer intercessor. You can be a prayer encourager. You see what I'm saying? You can be a prayer evangelist. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. God sees the hidden potential. And then number four, it's impossible to know what's happening in an individual's heart. You know, Levi had some problems. There's no doubt about it. He was despised, rejected, not liked at all. But God knew something was in his heart because Jesus just simply said, follow me. And he left to follow him. He gave up more than the other disciples because, you see, the other disciples had a trade they could go back to. But Levi could not go back to being a tax collector because once he left it, he was done. He was done. So he's giving everything to Jesus to just drop it all and follow him. You know, God had been working on his heart. That's the prayers of his parents. That's the, that's the encouragement of friends that he didn't listen to that he blew off. All of a sudden it bare fruit. Verse 15. Takes us to verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So we want to talk about Jesus and the party. He goes to a party. Now this verse paints a a pretty strange picture. The Lord is invited to Levi's house for dinner. On the one hand, you have Jesus and his many followers. On the other hand, you have Levi and his followers, his friends and his associates. The Bible calls them publicans and sinners. Some of those present were other tax collectors, but mainly they were just sinners. And they were known as sinners. The word used to refer to prostitutes and to those who did not observe the strict religious rules of the scribes and Pharisees. This dinner was attended by these type of people. They were friends and associates of Levi's. Publicans and sinners were the only people who would have anything to do with him. But what was the purpose of the party? Levi had hosted a party, I think, first of all, to say farewell to his old life because he had found Christ and he wanted to introduce his friends to Jesus. He wanted them to know who he was. He was excited to have his Savior in his home. He wanted his friends to meet him. You know, when you meet Jesus, you kind of get that way, don't you? You want to make sure everybody knows that you know Jesus. I mean, you go to the store, hey, you know the Lord. You run to somebody you haven't seen in a long time, hey, you know Jesus. And they'll say what? Well, you found God, huh? Or they'll say, found religion, huh? No, I didn't find religion, I found Jesus. He is my Savior. There's a difference in finding Jesus and finding religion. <laughs> Huge difference. If you don't know, you need to find it out. But the, there's a picture that's within the party. And this verse finds Jesus in a setting that few so-called good people would have been at. When they think about the people who were invited to that dinner, you kind of get an idea of the atmosphere. Tax collectors, hardcore sinners, prostitutes, people like that. Drunkards, people like that. I came early this morning and found a truck on the north side of the church in our yard. I don't know if it's water or alcohol or a combination of two. 
But he left his back window open. I'm sure he'll be glad he did. But the truck's gone now. So somebody must have woke up and come got it. Left us a nice yard to deal with. And we'll deal with it. God will take care of it. But think about the people that were invited to that dinner. Jesus did not partake in the wicked ways of those people, but He didn't isolate Himself from them either. We need to be a church that is welcoming to all people, no matter what's going on in their life. That's none of our business, is it? Our business is to do what? Love people. I'll let you say it with me. Our job is to do what? Love people. Let's say it one more time. Love people. That's it. That's our job. That's our job. It's to love them. Well, they're homosexual. Love them. Well, they're sleeping together. Love them. Well, they drink too much. Love them. They eat too much. Love them. Have I named off any bad sins yet? Oh, they're prostitutes. Oh, well, in the world. Don't know if we can love them. And you got to love them, but not love them. You know what I mean. Get in trouble if you love them too much. Jesus never isolated Himself. Isn't that interesting? And aren't you glad He didn't isolate Himself from sinners? You better say amen. Because <laughs> you are one that he didn't isolate himself from. But what a contrast to the church. We build buildings, erect walls, put up signs, then we sit back and wait for the lost to come to us instead of us going out of here to find the lost. In fact, Jesus said we're supposed to go and compel them to come to join us. Amen? How are you doing on the compelling part? Well, we've been this size church for a long time. It must not be compelling very well. We ought to be about the business of compelling people to come join us. Amen? Well, preacher, I just don't know anybody. Yeah, you do. Keep asking. Well, they keep telling me no. Keep asking. Pretty soon they'll come just to get you shut up. And they might like it. You never know. Is the Great Commission a great suggestion? No. It's not a great suggestion. It's a great commission. Go to the highways and the hedges and compel them. I praise the Lord that He wasn't ashamed to associate with a sinner like me. May the Lord help us all to become more like Jesus. Amen. Now let's go on to verse 16. See Jesus and the problem that arose. Look at verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked His disciples, why does He eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, critics always show up when you're doing something great for God. They're going to show up. They're going to show up every time. Not everyone was thrilled with God's or the Lord's decision to have dinner with a bunch of sinners. Scribes and Pharisees would never have spent time with the sinners. Oh, Lord, have mercy. 
They were strict in their observance of the Mosaic law. They were also very strict in their observance of the oral traditions handed down by the Jews. The other day, our vice president said that Christians speaking out against anything is wrong. Really? (laughs) And Jesus even died for him. He did. And on that great judgment day, I believe the Bible says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. (laughs) I want them all to say, Nah, you don't exist. On that day. I don't care how many millions of dollars you've got. Won't matter. Because if you don't have his blood covering your sin. You are lost as lost can be. What a sad day that will be. What a sad day that will be. You know there were blind and bleeding Pharisees. They called themselves. They blindfolded themselves and walked through town, and they wanted to make sure that their eyes were covered so if they saw a woman, they wouldn't lust after her. I mean, they'd walk off off, off the curbs. They would walk into walls. They'd walk into trees. They'd, anything they'd do to bleed and, 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 and bruise themselves, they counted as a marker of, of service to God. How ignorant are these people? So much like those today that say you've got to keep the traditions in order to be saved. You're wrong as wrong can be. All I've got to have to be saved is Jesus Christ. No other name given among men by which you must be saved than Jesus Christ. You're not going to get to heaven by owning it, by paying for it, by hoping for it, by serving for it. You're only going to get there by surrender to Jesus Christ. What he said. Call him a liar. And many do. And they are. Never thought in my lifetime in our country I'd hear people say Christians are stupid. Because that's what they're telling us. Oh, there's going to come a day. (laughs) But the problem with the church today is that we're full of hypocrisy. Oh, we say it. Oh, we think it. Oh, we hope for it. But somebody else is going to get it done. Really? Really? We ain't getting done. So the critics are there. Then you've got the criticism. The verbs eats and drinks are in a tense that could be translated always eating and always drinking. They wanted to make it seem like Jesus spent all of His time with sinners. They tried to make it sound like Jesus was a sinner as well. The scribes and Pharisees attacked Jesus for spending time with sinners. Their criticism, however, was really a compliment. I would rather be known as a preacher who spent more time with sinners than I did with saints. I need to spend some time with some sinners. does me some good. I've been in the hallowed halls too long. Let me get out there with the sinners where the real world is. You know where the best place to find them is? Starbucks. Serious. I hate Starbucks coffee. I can't stand it. They're, 
their thinnest coffee at Starbucks, will, a spoon will disappear in it. Now for Brother Mick, he's in hog heaven when he gets one of those kind of cups of coffee. But I'm telling you, Starbucks is such a conglomeration of different people, a lot of young people, and man, you can hear some conversations that will just curl your hair. But what a better place to be. I'm also seeing now in Starbucks people coming in with their Bibles. I'm seeing Bible studies going on in the corner of Starbucks. Isn't that awesome? Even poor little old Hugo's down here. I see him people doing Bible studies in one of those booths over there. What is going on? Going to break out into church service in there. Watch out now. Can't get them to come to church because they work on Sunday, so let's bring it to them. Amen. What are they going to do? Kick us out? <laughs> well, you let me know if that happens to you. They won't kick me out. I'll grab hold of the table and say, no, you ain't taking me out. The first time these religious men criticized the Lord, they did so in their hearts, but now they're getting bolder. They began to approach the disciples, and it wouldn't be long until they attack Him face to face, which takes us to verse 17. Jesus makes a pronouncement. Look at verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, Is it not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? I have not come to call righteous, call the righteous, but sinners. When Jesus heard their criticisms... He didn't allow them to go unchallenged. And you and I should not let, let criticism of Christ go unchallenged. Whether it's the president, the vice president, the mayor, or your dad, if they challenge your walk with God, challenge it. If they criticize it, challenge it. What are they offering you that's any better? Hell? <laughs> you think hell is going to be better? Jesus spoke more about hell than He did about heaven. Why? Because He doesn't want you to go there. Parents, how many times do you tell your kids, don't hang around those kids? Why are you doing that? Because you don't want them to get in trouble. You see it in their eyes. Your child doesn't see it in their eyes, but you do. Why? Because you've been there. And kids think you're the dumbest thing that's come down the rock since tumbleweed. Keep telling them. And when they're 25, they'll look at you and make it a slip. It'll be a slip. They'll say, well, you were right. I remember when Jeffrey said that, I about passed out. I said, say that again. He said, I didn't say nothing. nothing, nothing. I didn't say nothing. It's after you have kids. After they have kids. Oh, man, all kinds of world opens up to them. Amen? Mark became a youth minister and he called me right after becoming a youth minister down in Dallas. He said, Dad, I was pretty arrogant in high school, wasn't I? I said, well, well, uh, glad to see the God enlightenment has come to you. I said, what, uh, what caused this great enlightenment? He said, I'm a youth pastor now. <laughs> Funny how that works, isn't it? And now he's a homeowner with a baby. His whole world's just changed. He has no idea. Cindy, Cindy doesn't sleep at night worrying about that, that boy over needed because they don't have any idea what they're doing with that baby. Gigi's ready to go get him, bring him over here, because they don't know what they're doing. I keep looking at her saying, did we? Well, that's different. It's always different, isn't it? <laughs> that much younger wife I have. She, you know, you know, just, just, just relax. Jesus had a mission. He tells his critics that he's like a doctor. He's treating the sick, trying to help them get well. What kind of doctor refuses to help sick people? Hmm. 
He had a mission. Came with a mission. Then he had a message. He answered the criticism of these men. And he also leveled a criticism against them. But I don't think they were smart enough to catch it. See, that's what's wrong with the world today. They want to criticize Christianity, but when you bring an answer back, they don't have an answer. Because they're dumb. They're ignorant of the things of God. Stand firm, brothers and sisters in Christ. Stand firm. There may be a day when I can't preach as freely as I do now. I don't know when that day is going to come because I'm going to be in David L. Moss. Because I will not stop preaching what the Word of God teaches. This is my rule of faith. This is all I need. If it says homosexuality is a sin, then I will call it a sin. But I can still love the person who practices that sin. Just like you can love me because I practice overeating. I can love you because you're a liar. I love you because you don't uh, treat your parents correctly. You're disobedient to parents. I can still love you. Even though you might look at pornography. Why? Well, I can still love you. Are you with me yet? That's what we're supposed to be as a church. We've got a message. A message of salvation. If you get nothing from what I say today, get this. Your religion, your works, your righteousness, your whatever will never be enough to save you until you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. And you will receive salvation from Him and Him alone. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, felt the call of the Lord to go into the streets of London and begin ministering to street people. He stood in a Methodist church uh, or Methodist conference uh, and requested uh, permission from the presiding bishop to be released from his church to go into the streets and preach. The bishop heard the request and denied it, telling William Booth that they would not waste a man of his education and talent on the people of the streets. Upon hearing this, William Booth sat down and resigned himself to defeat. His wife was seated in the balcony because women were not allowed to be on the first floor. She stood up, she leaned over the rail, and she called to her husband and told him to listen to God and not to man. She vowed to stand with her husband against every foe. She came down from the balcony. Booth took her by the arm and they left the building to go into the streets and to win people to Jesus. He was ready to quit, but his wife... A lady who usually stayed in the background stepped out of the shadow of her husband to hold up his arms at a critical time in his life. Many souls were saved and lives changed in England and around the world because of William Booth and his wife were willing to cross the line to reach the lost. I'm so glad Jesus crossed the line to come get me. On the back of your handout, I've got something that, again, God laid on my heart to put on there. I want to read it to you. You read it with me. It's on the very back. Peace with God can only be accomplished by developing a relationship with Jesus Christ. In order to develop 
that relationship, it will look like this. Number one, you've got to have a desire to have a relationship. Number two, you've got to listen to His Word. Number three, you've got to respond to the conviction that you feel due to the knowledge of the sin in your own life. Number four, you've got to recognize your need to make changes. Often that's called repentance. And then number five, you need to respond to your decision by connecting to Christ through baptism. If you do these things, you're going to find peace with God. And until you find that peace, it'll be so hard for you to rest. Father, I ask you this morning, as we conclude our service this morning, that you find in us a people that love you, care about you, and want you to be in our life. Father, I ask you to move among us. Thank you that you cared enough about a man named Levi, saw potential in him, that you called him to leave what he was doing and to come be with you. And the most exciting part of that whole story, Jesus, is that he left. He left a lucrative life to go follow you. He literally surrendered all to come follow you. Oh God, would we learn that you want no less from us? Would we realize that we're living in a time when we're going to have to stand for you? As Rabbi Khan said earlier, we will not compromise. We will not shrink back. We will not give in. We will stand with you.